We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am so excited to have Randy Sprick on the show today, and it is going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. What is really cool is we're going to talk about some listener questions. What are the top three musts for a safe school environment? And Randy really lays it out and spends a ton of time answering that question. So thank you to those who submitted uh, questions as part of the fall listener survey. And if you still want to take that survey, you certainly can. The interview is passed now, but you can take that at transformativeprincipal.org, link to take that survey is in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited and honored to be speaking with Randy Sprick today. If you don't know who Randy Sprick is, then you better go find out because he is awesome. He's an educational consultant in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, he's the, I believe, the founder of Safe and Civil Schools. I'm sure he'll correct me in a second. And he helps principals, teachers, and other staff set up schools that encourage student responsibility and motivation and help students learn to behave in appropriate ways. He wrote the book Champs and has led numerous workshops, trainings, conferences, and a ton more stuff that I probably can't even scratch the surface on. So, Randy, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principal Podcast. I'm honored and excited to chat with you. How, how nice of you, Jethro. It's uh, great to have the opportunity to be with you. And uh, you were correct, as I'm the lead author and developer of Save and Civil Schools, and it's a uh, 
a range of materials, uh, CHAMPS being the classroom management approach, uh, but also we um, have materials on uh, school-wide discipline, a brand new book just for administrators um, on guiding behavior support, and then a lot of materials on setting up uh, individualized intervention plans. Great. And I believe that you're working with uh, Dr. Jensen, who wrote Tough Kid Toolbox with uh, Ginger Road. Was that whole series part of your group as well? Actually, it was uh, developed uh, parallel, and Bill and I have known each other for decades. And when um, we had the chance within Safe and Civil Schools to set up our own uh, small publishing and consulting company, the publishing part of it is Pacific Northwest Publishing, and Bill had the opportunity to get his materials back from the publisher that had them and brought them to us, which was really an honor. So Pacific Northwest Publishing publishes almost all of my materials and then most of Bill's Tough Kid materials as well. And they're very um, philosophically compatible and both fit within the research literature real well. Uh, Bill's material is probably a little bit more focused on the Tough Kid, uh, uh, the Tier 2, Tier 3 uh, needs for support. And while my material goes into that uh, on the intervention side of things, much of my material is really more for Tier 1, how do we set up schools and every classroom to be places that reduce the need for individual behavior support. And then because we've been publishing Bill's stuff for, oh goodness, probably almost a decade now, I would guess, Bill and some of his uh, grad students, uh, doc students at University of Utah, uh, developed an FBA process for chronic absenteeism, uh, which got some awesome results, and he brought that to us. And we asked Bill, we would love to publish this because there's nothing else like it, uh, but would you be comfortable if we collaborated and built a universal prevention component to it? Uh, because just for example, in the state of Oregon, uh, 26% of kids are chronically absent, wow. and you can't do an FBA on, uh, tw- on one out of four <laughs> kids. Just no state has the resources, and especially Oregon doesn't. Uh, so we built a universal component, and uh, that has worked out real nicely to reduce the number of kids that need this FBA. Uh, but getting to work with Bill and Ginger and those folks is, is truly a privilege. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So Ginger was the superintendent at um, my school district down in Utah, and so we got to learn firsthand from her, which uh, is pretty awesome to be able to do. Absolutely, she she is just such an amazing person, and that district was so lucky to have her as superintendent for the the number of years that they did. Yeah, very fortunate. So one of the the things that I love about what you do, especially with champs, is you, the book to learn how to do champs is like 500 pages. It's huge and it's uh, it's overwhelming to think I got to learn how to do this program that's in that book. But what is so amazing is that I've gotten the definition of champs down to where I can share what it is and the main features in about a minute and a half. And once I get that, um, I had a brand new teacher who I was working with and he put the champ stuff up on the board, not knowing what to do with it and just kind of left it there. And I came in and I said, okay, so there's nothing written there next to 
the acronym. So let me tell you what needs to be there. And I did it in about 90 seconds. And he said, oh, I can do that. That's not that hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just love how, how simple it is and how easy it is to explain. And then you can go so much deeper and get your routines much better. But just like that first, all you need to do is tell kids what your expectations are before you start. And that'll solve a bunch of your problems. And that, you know, it's worked every time I've I've used that approach. So I love that you've created something so simple with that. Oh, thank you, Jethro. That means a lot. We've definitely been pleased and gratified that it can make so much difference. And it is really relatively simple. It's a lifelong learning task to do good classroom management well, and you never know everything there is to know. Uh, but one of the very important basics is that there should never be any hidden expectations. And uh, a lot of times as teachers, we don't realize that we have a vision about how we want kids to behave, um, but if we if we don't share that vision in detail, there can be cultural differences, but also there's just procedural differences. Teachers need to realize that some of the things that are not acceptable in my room were not only acceptable, they were encouraged by a teacher before that these kids have had who is just as good a teacher as me, but were every one of our classrooms is a little bit idiosyncratic and unique, and that's not a criticism. There, there never ever should be a national pencil sharpener policy. That'd just be stupid. Um, and each teacher can have their own pencil sharpener policy, uh, but kids should never have to guess what that policy is. And pencil sharpener is just one of probably scores, 20, 30, 40, 50 different uh, rituals, traditions, and procedures that are unique to every classroom teacher. And so uh, while CHAMPS is, is more than just teaching expectations, that is absolutely a critical part of it. Yeah. And, you know, the the simplicity of it and the idea that it's trying to prevent kids from becoming tier two or tier three behavior issues is is really powerful as well. I did want to share one thing about attendance that at my last school, we had a, an attendance rate of about 85% pretty consistently uh -huh. and tried a whole bunch of crazy things to get kids to come to school. And the thing that bumped our attendance rate up to 95% uh, in three days and then kept it at an average of 95% for about a year and a half until I left that school was that we just announced over the intercom what the attendance rate was for that day. And a simple, easy thing to do that took about five minutes of the secretary's time to collate all the data. And then we posted it on the wall and then we announced it just before lunch and allowed kids to yell and scream if they got their 95% goal of attendance. And within three days, we were at 95% and then we stayed there. And that's all that we did after all the trials of rewarding kids and all that. And it was just an awesome thing. So it was pretty cool. The very, very cool, Jethro. We've actually, we've actually found, uh, very similar that all too often, and now I'm not against rewards at all. And I love, for example, uh, Bill and Ginger's within the tough kid mystery motivators and spinners and things like that. I love those concepts, but we frequently go to that as kind of a first step. And it actually, in in some cases, is not as powerful as just the importance of messaging and celebrating. 
uh, success, which is what you did with the announcements. And uh, it's one of the things that we recommend in the universal prevention of absenteeism is do set goals, uh, publicly post every day what it is when you meet those goals, publicize that and celebrate with let's let's cheer and take pride in who we are and getting everybody to recognize that you're coming to school today is not just whether you're here or not. It has a positive effect on all of us. And that celebration of a sense of unity is a, is a very powerful uh, reward and sense of satisfaction with kids. And one, one of the things that uh, just for your listeners who are, are thinking about attendance, uh, getting to 95% is really great. And that is an important very first step. And then the next step is to look regularly at all of the kids individually who are absent 10% of school days or more uh, because a school can actually, uh, you know, the, the math is a little bit funny and at first it's hard to picture. You can be at 95%, but if, if three-fourths of your kids have pretty good attendance, you could have up to 25% of kids who are over that 10% of school days missed. And really, that's the, that's the next critical variable to look at because any child who is missing more than 10% of school days uh, is um, is really at risk of failure. Uh, in fact, uh, a very powerful statistic from your home state of Utah, uh, they did an analysis. If a kid has misses 10% of school days in any year between 8th and 12th grade, now that's not every year, in any, even a single year between 8th and 12th grade, they are 7.4 times more likely to drop out of school than the kids who uh, do not have, uh, who are not missing uh, 18 days a year or more. And at first glance, that idea of 10% may not sound like any big deal, but that's missing over two days a month. And those do not have to be in sequence. The, uh, many people think that, oh, if a kid is absent for two solid weeks, they're behind. Well, of course they are, but it is equally devastating if they miss one day every other week. You know, that's a, a really good point. And one of the things that I think most schools do is send out attendance letters as kids are missing school, but those aren't very effective and they make people scared. But the reality is, is if you if you take after your first month of school and you say, okay, who's been absent more than two days this first month of school, then you can actually do something about that and see who those kids are. And you may have a lot the first month of school. But, you know, the other thing is if you've got 85% attendance like we did, you don't have the manpower to keep track of that 15% of kids that are absent all the time. So you got to get that number lower of kids that are absent so you can actually do something. So, you know, I think changing that mindset from uh, a yearly absence rate to a monthly absence rate and looking at that each month and saying who's been absent the most, you can probably manage to do that. And I think that's that's something that we could probably do. And your and your contacts with and your contacts with those kids and families can be very gentle because it's it's not oh look at this this whole last year that this is the huge problem that we've got it's saying hey this this pattern looks like it might be starting we want you here at school we need you here at school uh, messaging with families that data about uh, you know you may think it may may not make a difference. 
but it can be huge. A lot of, a lot of the absences are actually at kindergarten, first grade level because a lot of families think we're just sort of babysitting. And yet if a kid is, uh, we know darn good and well, if a kid uh, is not on grade level with reading at the end of first grade, the probability of their being on grade level at the end of third grade is very, very small. And if they're not on grade level at the end of third grade, we can do all the tier two, tier three stuff we want, but our chances of catching that kid up are, are very low. So um, just as you say, starting that messaging very early with families. We want to work with you. We want to support you. What can we do to help? But we want your child at school. We need your child at school. Yeah, those are so important to communicate to families. As I was getting ready for this interview, I asked uh, some of my listeners what questions they had for you. And so I'd like to jump into to some of those right now. One of the things that you talk a lot about is creating a safe school environment. And the questions were varied on that topic, but really it came down to what are the top three things we should be focusing on to create a safe school environment? Yeah, that is, that is such a great question. And, and safety... Um, safety really is the base of everything else, even, even just linking it to what we were just talking about, Jethro. Um, when, when Bill's material, the, the FBA process looks at reasons why kids don't come, uh, one of the factors, uh, for some children, not all by any means, but one of the factors is escape. Uh, if kids don't feel safe, they don't want to come to school. And so, so, for safety, that uh, trying to trying to break it down to three really important things uh, in no particular order because these are so interrelated. But the first, just because we have to start somewhere, is um, very systematic and planful supervision of all school environments. Uh, there should be there should be no physical setting of the school where uh, rampant bullying can take place. There should be no square footage of the school that is the turf of any group. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't just want to go to gangs there uh, because some people think, oh, we're not one of those tough inner city uh, urban schools where we've got to have metal detectors and so on. If there is a section of hallway that no adults ever go to, if there is a section of playground uh, where no adults ever go to, that can become the turf of a group of kids. And whether that is a visible gang with colors and uh, that sort of stuff or a name doesn't matter. As soon as a section of the square footage of the school becomes owned by certain kids. They will exclude other kids, and kids who dare enter there are both physically at risk and socially, emotionally uh, at risk as well. And um, positive supervision, uh, don't think here that I, I'm envisioning uh, supervision, meaning uh, stern people and people with guns and badges and so on. I'm just talking about adult presence, and that adult presence should be very friendly, inviting supervision. If in a secondary school we don't have enough adults in the halls, bullying is taking place. If uh, on an elementary playground 
we don't have active supervisors who are circulating. Big problem on elementary playgrounds is if you have three supervisors in a moderately large school, they're so starved uh, to want to talk to somebody over the age of nine during the school day that if we don't buttress against it from the building leaders buttressing against this by educating the supervisors, those three supervisors will be standing talking to each other because they're enjoying the, uh, the socialization with their colleagues, which elementary staff don't get to do enough of. And it's understandable, but if you have three adults talking to each other, nobody's watching the kids, and therefore bullying is taking place. So comprehensive, detailed supervision, lots of adults present, is absolutely critical. And um, there's two bits of psychology behind that that um, administrators should think about and should share with their staff about why we want all of you as staff to be not just physically present, but uh, emotionally present, visually present, interacting with kids, is one side of that issue is if I'm on an interstate highway, I'm an Oregonian, so if I'm driving on Interstate 5 and there's an open lane, I am totally cognizant that the speed limit is 65, but if there is an open lane, I'm not traveling 65 unless there is one other condition present, and that is an officer visible in front of me, beside me, or behind me. And I typically do this in in, uh, trainings that I do. Uh, I'll have two or 300 people, and I'll I'll say, uh, I'm going to ask that you share a number with your colleague in just a minute. You're driving on an interstate. There is a completely open lane, and there is no ice or other major hazards on the road. If there is an open lane, you as a law-abiding citizen know that the speed limit is 65, but I want you to share with a colleague uh, the number of the speed that you're probably traveling. So if it's 65 or less, say 65 or less, but if it's anything in excess, and I'm telling you, I, Randy Sprick, standing here in front of you, I'm not traveling 65, what are you traveling? And then people laugh and so on. But when I bring them back, I go, raise your hands. How many of you was um, was it a number that is more than 65? And uh, I've never had a group that it's been less than 90% of people who will raise their hands. And, and I say, I want you... I I want you to think about this for just a minute, because in schools, we're the rule enforcers, but 90% of you just raise your hand as an admitted rule breaker, uh, and there's a bit of irony there. But the main thing, why I want you to think about this and why I wanted you to look around the room, and if 300 of us in this room, 90% of us are rule breakers, but if an officer is visible in front of us, beside us, or behind us, what are we all traveling? And the answer is 65 or less, because the presence of people in authority prompts rule following by the vast majority of us, who will in fact push the rules just a little bit if we're not being observed. So adult presence is critical. But the other reason that adult presence, active, present, friendly supervision is essential, is is because uh, my wife and I, we've been married almost 40 years now, we're fairly decent housekeepers, but our house is always the least cluttered right before company comes. And I mean up until the minute that company comes. Because until that minute, right before the company is walking walking up the walkway, we're putting away a few more piles of papers, we're getting the laptop put away, which we may not have done earlier. And it has nothing to do with rules or consequences or a fear of, oh, we might be caught breaking a rule. It has to do that when we're being observed by people that we like and respect, 
company coming or people observing our house. We want our house to look its neatest. And it really is just out of respect for the people that were uh, being visited by. So um, with adults in schools, we want to capitalize on the same thing. Supervision, that we're the rule enforcers, and when we're being observed, most of us follow the rules better. But also if we're building good relationships with kids, kids want to demonstrate to us um, their best, which that actually takes me to the second factor. If we're talking about the three most critical factors with supervision, or excuse me, with safety, number one is supervision, adult presence. Um, but the second is adults who are actively and intentionally creating a positive school climate. The climate of a school, it's not the architecture, it's not the lighting, it's not the paint on the walls. Those are factors, but they're tiny factors. Anybody who's visited a lot of schools has seen some schools that are physically hideous, should have been torn down 50 years ago, that have a brilliant, bright, shining school climate, that in spite of the bad architecture, the poor lighting, the not enough natural light, this is a place that you're going, oh my gosh, what a gift to the children of this community. Because it's the, the climate of a school is the daily behavior of the adults in that school. Disney knows this. Disney trains every single Disney employee that you you are the face of Disney and that needs to be a face that is invitational positive and and happy we are delighted to have you here so we have to get the adults and again this is all the adults this is every single teacher this is administrators this is counselors this is paraprofessionals this is clerical staff this is maintenance staff making a concerted effort to have the school be positive and to be having every kid, I don't care whether it's elementary, middle, or high, I don't care whether it's urban, rural, or suburban, every kid between the time that they arrive on the campus and they get into a classroom, which hopefully it's a positive classroom, but there should have been at least five to ten adults who in route just getting to my first class should have said, good morning, Randy, nice to see you today. Hey, Randy, how you doing? Uh, hey, Randy, I, I know you were having that soccer game last night. How did it go? Oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, maybe I better luck next time, but i to keep working at it. Um, if ten adults say Say hi to every kid on the way to the classroom. Just think what a tone that creates. I'm actually in some schools, again, elementary, middle, and high, where there are adults actively supervising, but they're standing there with their with a stern face and their arms folded across their chest, which communicates basically, join us if you dare, but by God, don't cross our rules. No, it should be morning. Nice to see you. How are things going? Whoa, Eric, please honor our policies about walking in the hall. Thank you, Eric. Good to see you today. Uh, hey, Jamal, how are you? Uh, so even those corrections are happening within uh, a tone of an invitational climate. And so getting all of the adults to understand that 
we set the tone, we set the climate. And while we're out there supervising and while we're supervising in our classroom, we should be having a very positive intent and a very welcoming environment. And just on this second variable, linking that to the, uh, the, the little talk we had on absenteeism, and this could be the exact same thing for chronic disruption. This could be the exact same thing for kids who are unmotivated. But just linking this positive climate to absenteeism, any kid who was absent the day before over the course of the day should have at least three adults who noticed he was absent, noticed that she's back and saying, Lisa, you were absent yesterday. It's great to have you back. You feeling better? Well, very cool. Great to have you back in school today. You know, we love having you here. So first part of safety is adult presence. Second part of safety is positive, invitational adult presence. And then the third really links back to you you being so complimentary about chance. It's high expectations that are clearly communicated to kids and overtly and directly taught and then also consistently enforced. For example, let's just take hallway behavior. High expectations, we should have very high expectations for kids about hallway behavior. But if you look at adult behavior in airports, there actually is no cultural norm for exactly what's expected. Uh, walk on the right is expected, but if you look at adults in airports, um, at least 30% of the adults are not walking on the right of a concourse. Uh, so so if we want kids to walk on the right, which we should, by the way, our hallways are crowded. If we want them to walk on the right, we should teach them to walk on the right. And we should teach them an age-appropriate rationale about why you walk on the right. We should also teach them that if you've got four friends and you're, let's take a high school example. If you've got four friends and you're very popular, very large male football players, you don't walk shoulder to shoulder, four across, because that means at least one of you, if not two of you, are not walking on the right. And whether you realize it or not, that's a bullying activity. So if you're walking down the hall and you have four friends, don't spread out so that you're usurping the three-fourths of the width of the hall. And the, the, the female version of that, by the way, in high schools that you see is four females. And this is, has nothing to do with physical size, but everything to do with social size. If you haven't taught walk on the right, you will have four very popular, extremely powerful females who will usurp three-fourths of the width of the hall and they walk very slowly which forces all of the kids going both directions who are trying to get to class to cram into one quarter of the width of the hall. That's a bullying activity. may not be conscious. It may not be malicious. It may not even be intentionally mean, but it is mean. And if we have adults in the hall and we've taught walk on the right, we can have that adult going, uh, hey, uh, Tina, uh, Maria, you need to please not be walking on the side of the hall. If four of you are talking, two of you should be Thank you very much. Now, that way you're not blocking the hall. Thank you very much for honoring the policy. So clear expectations directly taught to kids with a level of clarity and rationale that um, fits, which means high school we need to give kids much more rationale than we do to kindergarten kids about the whys of this stuff. But then those expectations being consistently enforced in the earliest stages. And let's just take something like even uh, obscenity. Uh, 
If we have lots of adults in the hall, present, interacting with kids, dispersed throughout the hallway, we will probably hear any kid who drops a book and says, oh, blank. Um, there's probably going to be an adult who hears it. And in many schools, if it wasn't a verbal attack, it was not an insubordinate, it wasn't directed at somebody, it wasn't calling somebody a bee, um, it was just dropped a book and said, oh, blank. In a lot of schools, that's not even corrected. Uh, but in every school, it should be corrected. Uh, imagine the name of the, the school is Fletcher, and I get this from a, a school that taught us this stuff 20 years ago. We've always taught uh, the importance of supervision in one-liner corrections. The name of this school, Fletcher, one of their guidelines for success is honor the school's policies. And so the corrections are, a kid drops a book and says, oh, blank. Any adult who hears that should just say, uh, Marco, please honor Fletcher's policy about appropriate language. And if we have adults present, that's like having a police officer posted every mile on the interstate. We have positive, friendly interactions. Morning, nice to see you. And any infraction, even a mild obscenity, hey, Marco, please honor Fletcher's policy about appropriate language. What that does is that lowers the tone of noise, that lowers the amount of jostling and pushing and shoving, and that lowers the amount of rampant obscenity so that the environment is calm, friendly, interactive, and that makes it a safe environment. If you have adult presence, but it's harsh, if you have not enough adult presence, it's bullying. And if you have adult presence, but we haven't taught kids its expectations, we're having to correct so many, many, many little misbehaviors because we haven't taught what we want that we're correcting too much. So it is the integration of clear expectations positive climate and active supervision. And what that does, and that, by the way, is summed up in all of the research literature. There's a great thing that your users could look at if they wanted, if they just looked up attributes of safe and unsafe schools. Uh, they would link to some work of Hill Walker and Jeff Sprague here at the University of Oregon. And they basically characterize what are the, what are the things that uh, seem to make a school unsafe and what are the things that make them safe. There's just uh, some simple bulleted lists of those attributes of safe and unsafe. So on a one-page thing, you could walk your staff through and it would basically confirm exactly what I've said. Active supervision, positive climate, and high expectations consistently enforced. Awesome. Well, that sounds fantastic. And there's so... Sorry for being so wordy, Jethro. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. There's there's so much there and you did a good job of explaining. So uh, it, there are probably more questions... Boy, I had such a good time listening that I forgot to ask questions and I was furiously taking notes for that interview. So that was just the first part. Next week, we are going to talk about how to deal with the toxicity of some teachers in your buildings. And you and I both know that is a difficult thing to deal with that nobody likes to deal with. And yet it is vital for us to do that. And Randy's going to reaffirm that. So Thank you so much for listening. Please share this great episode with your friends and colleagues. And this was a lot of fun to interview Randy Sprick, and we got more coming next week. Transformative Principal is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.